This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I've been sort of stuck on the topic of war and battle, and uh, I'm not exactly sure what goes on. I have themes uh, that just sort of get stuck, and it's like a broken record that just sort of plays over and over again. And I, I guess I don't mind it. I, you may, uh, but uh, I, I tend to really enjoy the manly themes, and there's something about war and battle that I know some of us have grown up in environments which are... Uh, we would say, as Christians, we want to stay as far away from that sort of thing. And yet, as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, we can't ignore the fact that we are engaged in war, and we are considered soldiers, and we are supposed to be good soldiers. So therefore, if we're supposed to be good soldiers, as awkward as that is for those of us that grew up in environments where we never talk about that sort of thing, it's extra difficult to be a good soldier. And so for those of you, then there's the opposite end of the spectrum here where you grew up with a soldiering father and, you know, he told, taught you how to make your bed and how to do 100 push-ups. Uh, and so, and to not give him any eyeballing and, you know, to, you know, whatever. It was, it was a soldiering family. And so we have different ends of spectrum here, but I can introduce you to where I am at, which is probably more of the norm, I would say, in Christianity, which is I didn't come from a family that was military, nor did I come from a family that was anti-military. I want to be obedient, but my version of obedience is not, sir, yes, sir! It's like, huh, well, I'll take that into consideration. <laughs> and so when you apply to a spiritual life, it actually erodes the very foundation and the very essence of what makes Christianity function. A lot of us spend a good deal of our life sort of nitpicking our spiritual life, wondering why it doesn't function at the level it's intended to, the way God says it should. A lot of it does have to do with obedience. And obedience for many of us, like for instance, my, my family had a model for uh, asking Eric to do something. So my mom would, you know, I'd be on the Atari. You guys remember Atari? Uh, and I was playing. I, I was, I, they had a game called Defender, where a plane would go, and, you know, you'd be shooting everything down. And I literally flipped the game. I don't know if any of you know what that means. That might be an old term, but where you literally reach a million, and the, the game can't handle it, so it starts over and has zero points again. I did that. So as a result, you can sort of understand there was a little addiction issue going on, and I'm like, defender all day long. Uh, I'm going to flip this game uh, before Peter, my friend, does. And, you know, and we're, so I'm working on this, and my mom always has things like meals. Eric needs to clean his room. I mean, this stuff that really gets under your skin as a kid. I mean, come on. Uh, and so my mom would say something like, Eric, it's time for dinner. All right, all right. 
And so why would I stop? I'm in the middle of a game and I have my high score, okay? I'm not about to leave that. And so, Eric, Eric, I asked you to come to dinner. Yeah, yeah, I heard you. And I'm still doing my defender. So here's what my mom says. Eric, I'll count to three. So what am I doing? I'm still going. Why? Because I still have three counts. <laughs> One. Two. And it's right between two and three. They go, I'm coming. I'm coming. And I like shut the thing down and I come running. I'm, what? I'm coming. Is that obedience? Some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's, that's my version too. <laughs> When God asks us to do something, how do we respond? I want to introduce you to something. This is, I'm actually really excited about this message. You know, some messages I sort of dread as I'm getting into them, like, ah, like last week's, ah, I was talking about modern day apostles. It's like, ah, just awkward stuff, difficult, but it needs to be addressed. This is one of these messages where I, I gave a message that had some similar stuff to it years ago. You'll recognize if you've been around a while, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. The happy soldier. When you see the term soldier, especially in, in America today, happy is not the word that you would ever use to describe it. Soldiers have a very high level of suicide today. The depression levels are off the charts in the U.S. military it is a very dark and depressing and oppressive environment today, which is why many of you, even in this room, have a burden to say, hey, this is actually a mission field. These are people that are, that are lost and they have no hope right now. Ha the happy soldier? A study in the supreme discomfort and extreme delight found in following aggressively after Jesus Christ. Thrown from the plane, have you been trained for the jump? I... I had a very significant uh, weekend that I spent with Hudson. He's my oldest. He's 12. And it was, uh, what was that, Hudson? Three weeks ago, four weeks ago? And we spent a weekend where we went to a hotel, just daddy and son. And it was time for him to sort of enter into a whole another level of understanding of what it means to be a man. It was a very, very special time. And so I was giving him a description of what, when you go from boy to man... I was giving him a metaphor for it, and I was saying, it's like one of those transport planes that has all the soldiers in it, you know, and then the door opens, because we've seen it in the movies. The door opens in the plane, it's like, and then the men go jumping out, and they have a parachute, right? And then there's a way that you're supposed to use that parachute, and you, like, pull the ripcord, and then you, you know, you coast down, and there's a way to land. You do a little roll thing so you don't break your legs. And then you have to be in position because you're in enemy territory. And so you have to have a gun as well. And so I was saying that basically God knows that he is called to battle, to hard labor, to do manly things in this world. And so at a certain point in time in his life, God gives him a parachute. God gives him a gun, opens the door to the plane, shoves him out. However, he also wants to train him that he is going into enemy territory and that enemy intends to destroy him. So therefore, I was telling him that most boys are never told that they have a parachute, that they have a gun, and that they're going to be pushed from a plane, and they're going to land with a thud on the earth quite a few thousand feet down, and that an enemy is going to be hiding around a tree, and in the next few seconds is going to take them out. If you're not told that, how do you think you're going to fare in battle? Most men arrive on the ground in enemy territory and they're blasted to pieces the first moment they land. I said, not you, buddy. 
Daddy's going to tell you that God has given you a parachute, and I want to teach you how to pull the ripcord on it. I want to teach you how to do that nice little roll when you land on the turf. And then I want to teach you how to handle the machinery that God has given you. He has given you weaponry so that you can take down that enemy. Not so that you can just survive in the wilds of this earth, but so that you can win. That's being a man. And some of the ladies in here are like, I think it's being a woman too. (laughs) It is. And so as I go into this, and I'm going to use some soldiering terminology. You could say, Eric, do you have a background in military? No, no, I don't. Uh, I'm very attracted to certain elements because they remind me and they show me a pattern for how my Christian life is supposed to work. I did not grow up in the military. I have always wanted to go to boot camp, but not for the reasons most people do. I don't want to kill someone at all. I have no intention of going out and just blasting someone to pieces. I'm not an angry man. I don't hold grudges. Uh, But I want to be disciplined. I want someone to yell at me. I yell at people all the time. I want someone to yell at me. Lodi, give me a hundred. Sorry, yes, sir. That's what I crave in my spiritual life. I have always wanted that. When I was around 19 or 20, I read the book, The Scottish Chiefs. And I watched William Wallace, and I watched his men respond to him. And I was thinking, I want William Wallace to follow. Jesus, I know you're like that. But since I can't see you and I can't hear your voice bark at me, Oh, I crave a real human man who will lead me. And I would say in my life, I have not been dealt that luxury. And yet God has given me a grace to make up the difference. I don't have any complaints in my life. And I don't have any complaints. I don't have a military background. But I have seen something. And I've seen a pattern. As many of you have, I desire to be a happy soldier. And I crave the sort of obedience that the greatest soldiers of history have demonstrated. So we're being thrown from the plane whether we like it or not. The door to the plane is opening. And most of us are like, we're trying to just live in ignorance and feeling that if we're just ignorant, then God won't hold us accountable to the fact that we're being blasted to pieces by the enemy. We have one goal around in this thing called life. And I don't want us to play ignorant that we're being shot up, and hey, it's not our fault. Let's be equipped to win in this battle. The Victor Marx finger bend. Victor Marx is a man, he's, he's become a pretty good friend uh, of mine. Uh, Josh Kinnebrew and I went down and, uh, and visited him for a day. Uh, he was interested in working with us on some projects. But he's like, I don't even know how to describe him, but he's like this special forces guy. He trains special forces in... Uh, battle tactics and, uh, this is going to sound really extreme, kill techniques. It's like, what? Uh, and I was at a speaking event with him, and he gave me a kill knife. It's his own brand of kill knife. Now, he's the most loving, kind guy you'd ever meet. I know. You're like, you're friends with this guy? Uh, <laughs> this guy is so fascinating. He travels the world to share the love of Jesus. Yet he, in his past, his life, he is like special forces, highly trained, one of the greatest you know, weapons on earth, literally as a human. And so he literally trains other people. But as a result, this has led him into all sorts of Muslim countries because the Muslims are extremely interested in watching him do his techniques. So as a result, he has gained access to many, many thousands, if not millions of Muslims because of his background. He's an extremely fascinating guy. So I was in a conference where he was also speaking. It seems like Preston was there too. Preston, where are you? You were wanting to be mentioned in a message. Yeah, you were at that too, weren't you? 
So he has one of his guys come up onto the stage, and the guy's some world champion uh, judo guy. You know, I don't know what the martial art was, but uh, so Victor comes up to him, and he's showing something, and he says, look, the enemy has weaknesses, but if you don't understand his weaknesses, then he'll play your weaknesses. You have to know how to fight this battle. And he comes up, and he shows this technique of grabbing the guy's finger a certain way, and the guy literally loses all strength in his body and goes down to his knees. And he does it again. He says, you see, see, how many of you are pushed around by the enemy, but if you recognize that the enemy is defeated, he literally has nothing on you. It was one of the most fascinating things to watch. The guy literally would collapse to the ground. When you know your enemy's weakness, you can exploit it. A soldier's letter. So I was, I think you've heard, because I've had a lot of messages on the Civil War lately. Again, this battle war thing, I'm not sure. But I used to study the Civil War. And so I was going back through some things and came across this letter. And just listen to this. This is great. This is from uh, the battlefront, outskirts of Baltimore. My dear William, I can now march 20 and 25 miles a day, live on short rations of hard tack, raw rancid bacon, green roasting ears, and cold water, sleep out in the rain, having no more than an army coat over me, and enjoy myself capitally. Edward Hastings Ripley. He was a Union sh- soldier in 1861. That's, that's what I want right there. Most of us are listening to that, and we're like, oh, absolute misery. You see, we're not a happy soldier, and we don't understand what the apostles had when they were scourged, whipped, you know, falsely accused, crucified, beheaded with joy. What is that? They were happy soldiers. The happy soldier, built for battle and designed to thrive in and amidst danger. Now, I'm going to emphasize something. They're built for battle, but here's what I want to emphasize, and designed to thrive. It's like they feel more at home in the midst of danger than they do in the normal stuff. You see, they are built, they are fine-tuned for challenge. So therefore, they even crave the difficulty. They crave the challenge. They crave the trial. Come on, I, I have all this learning. I know how to use my weapon. Could you give me an enemy to fight? I really desire to be engaged in this battle. That's not the way most of us think. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. You see, it's even a commission to the church of Jesus Christ. Early church, what are they getting? Hey, be a happy soldier. Quit you like a man. That actually means be a man. So the World War II soldier, I'll just give you a, this is something that Dan passed along to me when he saw my notes. So this is uh, excerpted from the Army Regulation 600-10. Posted the 2nd of June, 1942. So it's right in the middle of World War II. They're teaching on military discipline to the soldiers. Military discipline is that mental attitude and state of training which renders obedience instinctive under all conditions. Obedience instinctive under all conditions. It is founded upon respect for and loyalty to properly constituted authority. While it is developed primarily by military drill, every feature of military life has its effects on military discipline. It is generally indicated in an individual or unit by smartness of appearance and action, 
by cleanliness and neatness of dress, equipment, or quarters, by respect for seniors, and by prompt and cheerful execution by subordinates of both the letter and the spirit of legal orders of their lawful superiors. By prompt and cheerful execution. In other words, it doesn't matter what you're asked to do. Sir, yes, sir. But it's not just sir, yes, sir. It's smile. Sir, yes, sir. You are cheerful. You have the opportunity to obey. This is not what we have seen. You see, there's been a breakdown of this, what we could call military order in our life. We are in a military, and yet because of our certain culture that we have all grown up in, we actually push back on the idea of instant obedience or instinctive obedience. Could you imagine being trained that it's your instinct to say yes? Our instinct is to say no. We do the exact opposite. We delay. We're like, I'll ponder that. As opposed to, of course, it's my instinct. I mean, he is my commanding authority. He is my general. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Of course. If he says to do it, yes, sir, is the response. So the heavenly soldier, one set apart for the uncommon work, the consecrated, the happy sufferer, the one made ready to be joyfully spent for the sake of Jesus Christ. So let's look at just a quick picture of what I would say is the model soldier in the Old Testament. This would be Uriah the Hittite. Now most of us, when we think of Uriah the Hittite, more think of David's mistake as opposed to Uriah's behavior. Uriah the Hittite, Uriah was actually killed by David. It's a very sad statement, considering we praise David all day long. He's one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, is David. However, what David did here is a crime of crimes, because he didn't just kill a man. He killed possibly one of his best soldiers. One of David's mighty men is Uriah the Hittite. This was a model soldier, even to us today. Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Wow. Even when the king says, oh, no, at your leisure. He's like, I can't. King, other men are dying right now. How could I think of myself in a time like this? Are you sleeping at the king's door? Is this how we think? We're engaged in a battle. And there's a church that is being persecuted all the world over. We are in a time of intense spiritual engagement. Are we sleeping at the king's door? I'm going to give you a list, sort of a gradient, and I want you to test your soul in it because every one of us falls in some part of this. POW would be a prisoner of war, okay? If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you're a prisoner of war. Jesus wants you. He purchased you. However, you are still held captive. And what's amazing is there are some that are POWs in this world that are perfectly contented 
They're fine. They don't want to be set free. We're going to call them the happy sinner. By the way, the happy sinner does not stay happy forever. However, for this season, there seems to be a pleasure in it. And so as a result, they are still the happy sinner, the contented POW. And then we have the restless POW. Many of you can remember some of these stages maybe in your life. But the restless POW, where the pleasure is starting to diminish, and you're like thinking, wait a minute, I'd like to go. Whoa, I'm chained. I'm stuck. And then someone sees you try and open your door, and they you know, slap your wrists with a, with a stick. Like, hey, sit back down. You're not allowed to leave these barracks. You're like, what? I thought I was free. Oh, you're not free. You're our prisoner. You see, you don't know that you're a prisoner until you try and get out. And once you try and get away from your sin, you recognize, whoa, I can't. And so you're starting to become restless. We'll call this the miserable sinner. And then we have the desperate POW, the sinner in search of a savior. You see, there's a season of misery. There's a season of restlessness. Then there's a season where you cannot handle it anymore. If there is a way out, I must know what it is. And then that message comes to you. There is a way out. There's only one way out. You must call on his name. He is your savior. His name is Jesus Christ. So the free man, it's the sinner transformed by the Savior. And so many of us in here have actually engaged in that cry, in that call of faith. And we have called upon Jesus and we were set free and the enemy cannot hold us anymore. We are set free. However, we are not set free to live our own life. We are set free to actually come under the authority of another commander. We were under the authority of sin and the devil. But now we are set free to come under a higher authority known as Jesus Christ. And this is where a lot of us waffle for a while. The begrudging soldier. Because of the way the gospel is delivered today, it oftentimes sets us up for a begrudging sense of duty. It's like, all right, now I need to live this way? So God, you're saying that I need to change the way I'm living? Uh, Yes. And most of us look at this as a huge negative. It's like, oh, come on. And so we become the begrudging soldier, the fearful follower, but that could lead to this. I may lose everything I have. I mean, Mary of Bethany poured out everything she had at the feet of Jesus. I mean, I don't want to give up everything. And then we read these scriptures. We try and skip over them, but they still pop out of the text. You know, anyone who would follow me must, you know, deny himself and pick up his cross and follow. It's like, come on. Are you sure that's a proper translation of it? Do we really want to do this? There's a lot of fear. And then we have this maturity that takes place, where some of us in here are right here. We are the dutiful soldier or the willing servant. Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to go and die. I'm willing to suffer. I I, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I'm willing. I really am. I want to please you. You see, we do mean it. We genuinely want to please God, but we are not very excited about it. You see, we know it's the right thing. We know he's worthy, but the cost is so excruciating. We're not the happy soldier. I want to introduce you to a whole nother level of living. The true soldier, the happy sufferer. You see, this is what we read about in the Bible. This is what God builds. If you're interested in allowing the spirit of God to construct you, he knows no other pattern than the pattern of Jesus Christ. He builds his saints to resemble Jesus, who was the happy sufferer, 
for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He knew what he was after, and it was us. And he was willing to lay down everything in order to get it. So we have the happy sinner versus the happy sufferer. There's two extremes, polar opposites. Just as happy as a sinner can be in the depths of their sin for that one season of their life, look at the polar opposite. I mean, you, you remember some of the pleasures of sin. Some of you in here, you remember that? You're like, oh. But have you ever felt the pleasures of serving Jesus? Have you ever tasted of the euphoria of intimacy with God? To truly know him and be found in him and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Have you ever tasted that? All you have to do is read through the Bible and you're like, wait a minute, why are these guys rejoicing right now? Something's weird about them. You know, I've tasted this weirdness to the point where I've become a little cuckoo along with them. I still remember, some of you have heard the story on Bourbon Street when I first tasted this. I was with this missionary group and they had this cross in the middle of Bourbon Street in Mardi Gras. This is like not where I want to be. I still had the cool vibe and that was not cool. There was nothing cool about standing with this huge cross. They couldn't just bring a little one. They had to bring a huge one. And so I'm standing about 30 feet away from him, bouncing on my toes. I'm supposed to be evangelizing, right? I'm not that sort. I don't like coming up to people, especially ones that don't want to hear. I mean, if someone comes up to me, I'd be happy to tell them about the hope that I have within. But I'm not, I don't want to be near that cross. And I remember when they were trying to put up the cross, they needed to fix the top beam, and it was a whole bunch of short people in me. I'm not that tall, but I was the one that was able to reach up and stick the beam in place. And my, you know, my face went flush red. When I did, I was just humiliated, just sticking my hand. And I quickly darted off to the side in the shadows. I bounced on my toes a little. And then after, oh, I, I, you just see the team plotting and planning. We need Eric to get over here and hold this cross. And I'm over there, you know, in the shadows. It's like, well, if anyone, God, if you want to lead someone to me, I'll talk to them. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, Ludie. Yeah? Uh, do I know you? Do you want to hold the cross? This is the strangest thing. You know what came out of my mouth? Because I didn't want to hold the cross. Okay. What? Did I just say that? And I find myself walking towards the cross. I put my arm around that cross, and my life has never been the same. When I identified with Jesus, in the midst of that rabble, a joy filled me that I had never before tasted. I was there for about three to four hours, beer being thrown on me, people cursing me. I actually wanted someone to punch me so I could literally say to Jesus, Jesus, I have the privilege of suffering with you. It was cuckoo. And I didn't want it ever to end. I remember somewhere around one or two in the morning, some guy came up on our team. He's like, could I hold the cross? I'm thinking, this is my cross. We get your own. (laughs) I don't know if you've tasted it, but there is a degree of joy and life that is available to us when we will simply take that step into the uncomfortable. The four lessons of boot camp, introduction to the uncommon life. If you go to boot camp, when I went to college, I learned this. When, as a freshman, I showed up, I had to show up early. So all the sports teams are there. So all of the, uh, if you're a freshman in that environment, it's not very pleasant. I don't even want to tell you the stories of what I went through. But I had, they were acting like big shots themselves. But uh, what did I learn? I am not the big shot here. So, Ludi, you're not the big shot here. And I'm one of those guys, this eyeballing thing. I don't know if you've ever heard about eyeballing, you know, but you're, 
commanding officer, your drill instructor standing in front of you, and he'll stare at you. You can't, you're not supposed to look him in the eye. So these guys were doing this little short kicker from the football team. If you remember any of my other stories, this is that kicker, the same, same guy. He comes up in front of me, he's like, oh, no, no, no. And then so I look at him. And he goes, hey, no eyeball. And then the whole group had to do push-ups because of Ludi. And he did it to me like three times. I still had to look at him. Who are you? What do you think you're doing telling me what to do? I'm bigger than you, and I'm a soccer player, and soccer players are tougher than you realize. <laughs> See, I had, some, I had some issues. No eye rolling. I did not understand that eye rolling was a statement. My mom used to... I, I, she would say something like, Eric, remember, remember, and I would roll my eyes. I didn't say anything. I thought I was doing really good by not saying something because I'm thinking stuff. But I didn't say it. I just rolled my eyes, and she's, she got so, I had to go to my room because I rolled my eyes. You see, you communicate with these eyes, and it's an issue of submission. Your eyes declare your position. Are you submitted, or are you wanting to be dominant in the circumstance? No eyes shutting. If you've ever been in the military, you know that you don't get much opportunity for eye shutting either. So my crazy dream, this is a dream that I had, I think we're talking about three years ago. I think I say it might be two. But I had a dream right before I gave a message that was somewhat similar to this. I had a dream. Now, I don't like put weight and stock in my dreams. However, I have had some dreams which are really humorous. And God has leveraged those dreams in my life in a, in a really profound way. I, I spend, most of my dreams are just funny. I, I don't know that I can have serious dreams. I think Eric Ludi has just dealt out hilarious dreams. And when I wake up, you know how you wake up in sort of a dream fog and it feels like it's real? So then I'll tell Leslie my dream, she'll laugh. And I'll go, okay, I guess it's not real. Uh, you know, sometimes you just have to get out of that funk. This one really bothered me. This was a dream that just sort of was under my skin the whole day. Because it was really embarrassing, and it was convicting, deeply convicting. And it doesn't make me look very good, by the way. I'm sharing with you something. I'm not sure why I'm giving you this ammunition against me, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. So Eric Ludi joins the army. Aren't you impressed? Three years ago, I had a funny dream. In my dream, I decided that I wanted to join the army. Hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to do my part. However, before I could join, I had to first ensure that my work with the Army would still allow me to fulfill my commitments here at Ellerslie. It's like, I'm a busy guy. I'd really like to help, but you need to recognize I still have to run a, a school, you know, help lead a church. I got some issues here. So as the dream unfolded, I showed up at an Army recruitment desk. I mentioned to the officer sitting behind the desk that I would like to join the Army, but that I already had other commitments. I explained these other commitments, and he seemed very excited to have me join and said that we could certainly make it work. In the dream, I thought to myself, I bet they are desperate for strong leaders like me. <laughs> Can't you see the setup God has for me in this dream? So from there, I was invited into a big courtyard where 80 men were waiting. Almost immediately upon my arrival into the courtyard, an officer stood up in front of everyone and began talking. He just like stood up. And he's like, talking, like a military drill sergeant. It's like, whoa, whoa, I just walked out. I'm still in my normal everyday clothes here. I mean, I, I'm not in military mode yet. He mentioned the various places the 80 recruits surrounding him were from. I guessed that he may have heard about my special circumstances and my willingness to serve in the army, and as a result, he might happen to mention it to the other men as a good example. See, what I was expecting is... And, I don't know if any of you have heard, but we also have a, a man who is very busy. 
and has a lot of responsibilities in his life, and he has even humbled himself to come and join the ranks of all of you. I mean, it would have been, it would have flowed out nicely in such a moment. But to my chagrin, he never brought it up. Then he started saying army things. Now, I put quotes around that because I wasn't, I didn't grow up in the army. I didn't know what all these army things were. They were just army things. So he's saying stuff, and I'm thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. And some of the men were expectant for this and were instant and vigorous in their responses. So all around me, these guys are doing things like, ah, hurrah, you know, doing just stuff. And I'm like, huh, huh? I didn't know what to do. I was fish out of water here. They seemed to know what he was doing and eagerly participated in his banter. They raised their hands at times that I wouldn't even think of raising my hand. In the middle of them, him talking, he's like, huh? And I'm thinking, well, am I supposed to raise my hand? I.e., the officer said jokingly, I'm assuming you're all Christians. To me, this was a joke, but there was a whole group that immediately raised their hands and kept them up, declaring that they were Christians. After a few seconds, I felt awkward that my hand wasn't up, so I raised it half-heartedly and it indicated that, yes, I was one too. Then the officer asked, somewhat muffled and cryptically, for some of the men to go with him to do something undefined. Ten men sprinted to him. I wasn't even considering going. After all, I didn't understand his muffled request. Then the officer simply said, more! So others around me started moving, and I found myself moving too. Now I was part of this smaller group. The officer said something, and I kind of nodded my understanding, but the guy next to me belted out, sir, yes, sir! I remember thinking that it seemed a bit overdone to be yelling that, seeing as how we had just started, and we hadn't even been asked to say that yet. In other words, my pride was struck. I wasn't looking very impressive. I had no clue what was going on. I didn't understand the rules of this environment, and these guys did. They were eager. I was proud. I thought they needed me. These guys wanted to be there. I was willing to do my part. The difference and the distinction between the two was so palpable, and I was feeling every inch of it in this dream. I came in thinking I was kind of special, and to my humiliation, all of these punk kids were outshining me right off. And so I found myself justifying why such givenness and readiness was unnecessary in this situation. Next, the officer laid on the ground without explanation. The group fell to the ground and did as he did. I was thinking, how juvenile. But I did it, realizing that all my college presidenting and my church pastoring had not quite prepared me for this exercise in humility and lowly mimicking. If Jesus lays down in the boat and goes to sleep, what do we do? We lay down in the boat and go to sleep. We don't ask questions. We do. You see, I, I wasn't ready for that. Could you explain things to me? I don't quite understand, sir. That was too muffled. When you, when you say things, I'm not sure exactly what you want. And so I'm going to hold back my obedience. I'm going to reserve my dignity here. I am not just going to do whatever you ask. I'm going to pick and choose what I think is appropriate. And as a result, that was exposed in me. The very thing that I would say has been the hardest for me in my own spiritual life, which is crystal clear, sharp, instinctive obedience to Jesus Christ. I know to obey, but there's a part of me that's very American that doesn't like to submit that readily. Oh, I'll still submit, but on my timetable. That's not obedience. Entering an unfamiliar world. As Christians, 
We have been given a parachute. We've been given the weaponry. The door is open and we are being thrust out into the unknown. However, it's not supposed to be unknown. You're not supposed to be confused of what is this heavy thing on my back? Do I really need this? What am I supposed to do with this? I don't know how to handle this machine. Whoa, why am I falling? Uh, Why are my legs broken? Uh, Why am I being shot to pieces? Why does everything seem to be against me? That's how many of us are. The lack of discipleship in the last few generations has left us extremely vulnerable. The lack of fatherhood in these past generations has left our young men vulnerable. We don't know what we have to work with. We don't know what the enemy looks like, how the enemy works. We don't know that we have authority over him. As a result, we're being blasted to pieces even though we intend to do good things. God, I'm willing to serve you as we're falling, going, why? We don't understand the engagement in which we're in. And as a result, it's pretty difficult to be a happy soldier. So enter in an unfamiliar world. I'm going to give you a taste of this. This is, this is quite fun for me. Uh, so this is the letter that uh, I get. I've just entered the military. I've entered the Christian world, and I have no clue. No one has taught me. No one has discipled me. Private Looney, it looks like it's time for Sister Petey to visit Iowa. T.S. Tug sent the invite. The bags are packed, and Lenore Magoo is joining the visit. No doubt you'll be sleeping on vinyl, but just remember Owen is when the vinyl gets rough. And just think, for years, Otto B. has lived in Iowa with his wife, Emmy, and their pet, Opie Cat, and they have been going strong for 2,000 years. You'll definitely need to learn the ballad, Arkansas, Arkansas, for their gardener, Stewie, sings it all day long. If you ever get in a tough spot, just dial Jody. She'll be quick to answer. In fact, so quick that you'll get dizzy, dizzy. There'll be moments when you will want to take the easier route through town, but always follow Dr. Mister, for he knows the best path to Grandpa Moe's place. Swing the so- sing the swan song every night prior to bed and make the empty cell your living quarters. Oh, and did I mention that L2S will be your roommate? He's a big guy and tends to take up most of the bed. Don't forget to strike the cheek of the Jebusites prior to leaving every morning, and I can't stress enough. Always eat the beets. Colonel Andy will be there in Iowa to answer your questions, and he'll also be your dentist. Godspeed, the heavenly messenger. So I fold that back up, stick it in my pocket, and go, oh no, what have I just entered into? I don't understand a thing. And some of you are like, I don't either. Am I supposed to? (laughs) In other words, this is a picture of what it is like for many of us. We enter into Christianity, and people are saying, so do you understand true doctrine? How's your doctrine, dear brother? What's your theology? We don't even know what doctrine is, let alone the word theology. It's just a big-sounding word. So, uh, currently, you're being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? (laughs) You are saved by grace through faith. We don't know what grace is or faith. How? We don't know. We may know the right answer to a question, but we have no clue what it means. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to be patient and kind? What does it mean to actually have the Holy Spirit live inside of you and animate this, this being. What is the cross and why should we come to it? Isn't that an execution device? This burial and this rolled away stone? What does that have to do with me? Didn't it happen 2,000 years ago? 
You see, if you're not discipled, it's as cryptic as what I just read to you. And most of us spend the next 30 years of our life piecing things together. Instead of someone setting us down and saying, did you get the letter? Yes. Do you understand the letter? Well, of course. Of course I do. You don't understand the letter, do you? Well, no, I don't understand a thing in it. <laughs> you see, we all try and put up a good front but most of us have not been groomed and trained to understand the mysteries of the world we're entering into. That's a parachute. This is the pull cord. You are going to jump out of this plane. This parachute is designed to lift you up and to bring you down to that earth. And this is the role you will engage in. And when you do, you will land safely. But be aware, there is an enemy down there. This is the gun that you have been given. Let me teach you how to use it so that when the enemy shows his face, you'll know what to do with it. You see, we have not been groomed. We've just been pushed. As a result, it's very difficult to be a happy soldier. Dumbing down the call. Without discipleship, the luster of the soldier's life is lost. So let's talk about the dumbed-down soldier. Welcome to modern-day Christianity. It's one who said a sinner's prayer, one who wears a soldier's uniform, one who has a commander. Do you have a commander? Private. Sorry, yes, sir. We know he's Jesus. And we have a big heavy thing on our back and a big heavy thing in our arms. And we're being pushed out of a plane and flying nonsensically to hit the ground and break our legs. This doesn't make any sense, guys. And all the questions start coming out. Why? Why is life so difficult? Why, even though I want to serve Jesus, is it so hard? You see, discipleship brings order to the process. Rediscovering the happy soldier life. The language of the heavenly soldier. 22 words every happy soldier must know. We ready to go through these? See, I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the key, the glossary, to understanding the mysterious life. Right here. I mean, this is dead serious stuff. I mean it. Iowa, Sister Petey, Lenore Magoo, T.S. Tugs, Vinyl, Owen Is, Otto B, Emmy, Opie Cat, Arkansas, Arkansas. You guys know what these are, don't you? <laughs> Stewie, Dial, Jody, Dizzy, Dizzy, Dr. Mr., Grandpa Mo, Swan Song, Empty Cell, L2S, Strike, Always Eat the Beats, Colonel Andy, Dentist. Yeah, those are common terms. You know what grace is, too. You've heard the word, but do you know what it means? You understand the word faith, but do you know what it means and how it functions? You've heard the term Holy Spirit, but do you have any idea who he is and how he works? The soldier's glossary, knowing the language of the heavenly military. Instinctive obedience always. We could say instant obedience always. However, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, you need to learn that you are under a commander. I was telling these students this weekend that I had a coach in college uh, named, I want to say, e Igor, but that sounds too extreme. It was one of those types of names. I wouldn't want to say Ivan, Igor. I don't know why I get those names mixed up. I never called him that. He was just coach. So that's why it was a little confusing for me to remember. He was from, uh, from Norway, and he was a master soccer player and a master coach. So I'm in college, and one thing I learned very quickly, hushed tones of reverence whenever you talked about coach. You never say anything negative. And, I mean, these are college guys, and they have that much respect for this guy. We get out on the soccer field, the first practice, 
He hardly said anything, and everyone did exactly as he asked. And he started asking us to do things that were impossible. The very first day, we have a, like a seven-mile run, and we had a certain amount of time we had to get it in, and if you didn't make it, you were cut. Two guys made it. What's he going to do? I mean, this was like the, the start of the whole thing. I couldn't even walk. I fell out of bed the next morning. I was so exhausted. Everyone else that didn't, I was like third. Out of, I, mean, I had trained all summer for this crazy run, and I didn't make it. And so, so everyone else, he, he let me be like the cutoff. Everyone else had to run hills the whole next day. These are sand hills. This is like death by sand. This is like terrible. <laughs> Everything about this was exhausting. We had this ring is huge. It was, I don't know, half mile ring around the, a baseball diamond for the baseball team in college. And he brought us up there and he says, uh, baseball diamond. Tweet. We just start running. We get done. We thought it was the end of practice because this is the time we'd usually finish practice. We get done and all he says is faster. Tweet. Well, we just killed ourselves. It's the end of practice. You've already given everything you have. And he says, faster. So we're walking, like, how fast can you go? I mean, this is a long run. And so we're running, we get done, and he just blows his whistle, and he says, faster! So we do it again. This must have happened seven times. I mean, one can hardly even function. Psychologically, we're on meltdown. I don't even know how it ended. I just, I probably blacked out somewhere in there. <laughs> this is all of soccer training camp. He was breaking in the troops. One thing he got out of us was instant obedience. If he asked, he got why is it that my soccer coach in college can ask me to do something and I'll do it? And why is it that the God of the universe can ask me to do something and I'll hesitate? Something is seriously wrong when we displace God and put man's leadership even higher than his. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Instinctive obedience always. If you don't have it, you need it. Ask the spirit of God to begin to change your instinct a soldier in military training actually learns instinct in and through discipline. So in other words, every day they respond the same way. And what, what begins to happen? They create a habit. Your habit needs to begin to be more and more straight towards, sir, yes, sir. So this is I-O-A, Iowa. All right, see? You just learned something right there. It's obvious to all of the rest of us, but uh, for you, it's Iowa now. See, isn't this fun? By the way, I made this up, okay? So just in case you're thinking this is some deep knowledge. The predecided sir, yes, sir. Many of us wait to give a sir, yes, sir until we've evaluated what the command is. However, that's not how a good soldier works. A good soldier works with a predecided sir, yes, sir. In other words, even before he asks you to do something, your answer is already yes. So you can give the predecided sir, yes, sir, now. And that's very, very important for your soldiering. So this is the PD sis, or the sister PD. Undying enthusiasm. If you're going to be a happy soldier, you need to recognize that no matter what happens to you, you smile back. No matter the difficulty, no matter the impossibility, some of the greatest stories in, in war history Come when everything has gone black and everything is at its hardest. Some of the greatest quotes come out of that because there are men that will just laugh at the circumstances. They know it's impossible. They know they're going to die. And so they have fun the whole while. In other words, they have a sense of humor in the midst of it. We have an undying enthusiasm. It's like the trampoline where something heavy lands on it. And what do you do? 
Well, if you catch it right, you go flying higher. It's called a leap for joy. So the bigger the challenge, the higher the leap. Undying enthusiasm, the choice to go enjoy every moment and not let one moment go unloved. Or let not one moment go unloved. Let not one moment go unloved. Lenore Magoo. <laughs> to please the commander, to see the general smile. What do we desire? To see our general smile. That's what we live for. We live for him. We live for his pleasure. If he asks us to do something, sir, yes, sir. With undying enthusiasm, we live in order to see him have delight. To see the general smile. T.S. Tugs. No special exceptions, no silver spoon children. In other words, as Christians, it doesn't matter where you come from. You may come from the upper class. However, when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, we're all seeking the lowest place. So in American history, that was always uh, like Pike's Peak or bust was the term. In other words, even if we die getting there, we're going to Pike's Peak, guys. And this is something even more special. This is the lowest place or bust. So this is LP or bust. You guys know what an LP is, don't you? That's like a vinyl record. So this is like the floor. We get down to the floor. We humble ourselves. We take the lowest place. It's known as vinyl. Only one is special. In this kingdom, in this military operation, there is only one that is truly special. And I, I'm going to break it to you. It's not you or me. We're not the ones that it's built around. And so you may show up at military boot camp and say, you know what, it's, I wish he'd tell my story. I, I've really sacrificed a lot to be here. I, I, I'm bringing a lot to the table. I, I'm sure you could really use me here in the military. That's not the way we approach the kingdom of heaven. God, I have no idea why you would choose me. Because he could do this all without us. But he has chosen to use weak things. Yes, Eric Ludy, you are one of those weak things. He has chosen to use weak things to reveal his strength. Only one is special. O one is. O to be the first sufferer. Jesus was what we could term the first sufferer. He laid down his life that we might live. There's a bullet flying and it's going to hit us. And Jesus leaps in front and takes the hit. He's the first one to suffer. In this generation, right now, there are suffering ones. The enemy goes after the weak. He's like a lazy lion when the wildebeests are passing through the Serengeti. He's going to go after the elderly. He's going to go after the slowest, the youngest. He goes after the orphan. He goes after the widow. And there are bullets flying that are hitting them all the time. And yet, a Christian is willing to say, oh, to be the one who suffers instead. Oh, to be the one. God, let me carry that burden. Let me take the blow for them. We're the strong ones. They're the weak ones. God has given us something to give. May we stand in front and take that hit. Oh, to be the first sufferer. Oh, to be the first sufferer. Otto, be. Count the cost. Everything means everything. If you study the word everything in scripture, it actually comes to the conclusion that you most dread. It means everything. Which means God asks for everything. Which means, by the way, just in case you didn't hear me the first time around, everything. 
So we need to count the cost and recognize that when we come into this kingdom, it means our life. When you sign up to be a good soldier, you know full well that you likely will not return. You will not return to civilian life. You are laying your life down for a higher purpose. You're counting the cost. So many of us say, I didn't sign up for this. As you're falling through the air, about to break your legs. I didn't sign up for this. Yes, you did. God, I am your soldier. Dress me in the garments of a soldier. I know that you have supplied me with everything I need for life and godliness, for success in this battle. I accept all the difficulty, all the gunpowder in my eyes. I accept all the shrapnel in my shoulder. I accept whatever it means because I want to please you. Everything means everything. Emmy. Constant energy, always given, always sprinting, always eager for more. 100% all the time. This is a principle that at first seems very daunting, and that is 100% all the time. And I mean it. My statement for this, uh, we're going back 10, 12 years, is no downtime. The culture in which you live will always say, you need to feed yourself. If you really want to make it in this life, you need to take time for you. God says, you take time for me. It's a very different mentality. It says, esteem self. It's called self-esteem. God says, esteem me, and you'll find true value. You'll find your worth. However, we get it all backwards because we take our pattern from the world instead of our pattern from heaven. God says, I'm calling you to be my servant. You have to trust me. You give me 100% of you, I'll take care of you. I'll make you lie down in green pastures. I'll give my beloved rest. I will take care of you. I will feed you. But you give me everything, 100% of the time. So there are moments, okay, this has been tested in my life many times over, where I have been depleted throughout a day of ministry. Ministry can take it out of you. And I might have 10% of what Eric Ludy would typically have in the tank. And I walk home, and guess what? Now my main ministry is on. Game on. Kids running around. I got a whole bunch of them. They're swirling about. Leslie needs to talk. Uh, could we talk? When you only have 10% in the tank, that talk can, you know, run it low real quick. Because you know, what's she going to say? It's going to be something about the kids, something that I need to address. Ah! Here's what you do. When you have 10% left, you still can give 100% of that 10%. No matter what you have in the tank, you give it all. Here's what I've found. Whenever I've given up the last I have, that's when God's supernatural work kicks in. I've proven it so many times in my life, whether that's financially, whether that's energy-wise, physically. All right, I have this little bit. And my instinct is to hold on to it because that's all I have. Instead, 100%, 100% of the time. 100% constant, I don't know what that is. What's the cat there? 100% all the time. Oh, that's what it is. 100% all the time. I know what I'm talking about, guys. Don't doubt the system. (laughs) OP cat. Always ready, always ruddy. I love the study of ruddy, even though we don't have time to go into it. David approached Goliath ruddy, which means red. What's interesting is Adam was red. Esau was red. Well, what's the difference? There's two different types of red. There's an earth red, and there's a blood red. Jesus came, and when he did his work on the cross, he was ruddy. He was covered in red blood. David approached Goliath red, but it was the red of heaven. Always ready, always ruddy, 
always in the spirit of God, always ready to take on the giants, always. Always ready, always ready. It's double R, A-R. That's Arkansas, Arkansas. Isn't that obvious? <laughs> spring to action, spring to battle. Spring to action, spring to battle. Stu A, Stu B. So we just go with the Stu E. <laughs> Don't leave the impossible jobs for the next generation. Remember the 800. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. David's mighty men. Oh, I love studying David's mighty men. Joshobium the Tachmanite, or the Hachmanite, means the son of wisdom. Yet what he did seems like the most unwise thing you could ever do. Could you imagine talking to your mom about it? You're like, hey, mom, there's 800 Philistines out there. Do you mind if I go out and take them down? What's mom going to say? Honey, honey, no, no, no. You see, that doesn't sound like wisdom. It's not motherly wisdom. It's heavenly wisdom. You see, Joshobium is fighting for the glory of his king. 800 Philistines single-handedly this guy takes on. So what are we saying? Don't leave the impossible jobs for the next generation. There's 800 Philistines lingering around all over the place. And we're like, oh, someone else is going to have to deal with that because, hey, I can't, I can't do it. What do you expect? I can do that? Well, Joshobium was nothing special. It never describes him as being bulging with muscle. You know what? Samson was never even described as having bulging muscle. In fact, if it was so obvious what Samson's secret of strength was, they wouldn't have been trying to find it out. If the guy had muscles that bulged up and broke through the ceiling, it would be pretty obvious what his secret of strength was. <laughs> However, they're looking at this normal guy, and he can destroy a thousand Philistines with a jo- donkey's jawbone. What does this guy have? He had the power of God. What are you supposed to have? The same thing. You see, you're a soldier. Don't leave the impossible jaws for the next generation. Savor them. God, I have impossible jobs in this generation. Could you call me to that? I'd like an impossible job. So remember the 800. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Dial Jody. That's a good one. That's a good one. Don't set down that sword. Eleazar didn't let go of the sword. Cleave to the sword. Eleazar, an entire... Philistine army is coming against a little parcel of land in the land of promise, known as Pazdaman. And it says that all Israel fled, and yet David draws his sword and stands, and two mighties stood with him, Eleazar and Shammah. And all it says in the scriptures is that Eleazar's hand grew tired. I mean, do you blame it? He's taking on a whole army. There's only three of them. His hand grows tired. But then it says, and he clave his hand to the sword. Uh, that right there. It's a resolution, even when it gets difficult, to cleave your hand under the sword. By the way, everything I'm sharing with you is how you understand that parachute, how you understand the machinery that you've been given, how you make that leap, how you roll when you land, and how you deal with the enemy. If you're listening to what I'm telling you, this is Discipleship 101 in the kingdom of heaven. Don't set down sword. You just have to erase the T in there. Dizzy, dizzy. Always take the hardest assignment, the most difficulty. The most difficult is the most rewarding. Most of us don't lean towards the hardest assignment. We lean towards the easiest. I still can remember the, the Cambridge Seven. That was uh, C.T. Studd and his group of mighty missionaries that went over uh, to China in the China Inland Mission under Hudson Taylor. And there was a request that came, and basically, I think it was Hudson Taylor that even brought it to him. It said, guys, I think, I think they needed two men to go into a very hostile situation. Very likely, they would not survive. 
There's seven amazing young men of God. Every single one of them sticks their hands up immediately in the air and says, give it to me. And I remember reading that and realizing my hand was still down and thinking, I want what those guys have. What is that? Always take the hardest assignment. The most difficult is the most rewarding. The most difficult is the most rewarding. Or the MD is the MR. The doctor is the mister. So Dr. Mister. Some of you are maybe beginning to see the brilliance in this. Some of you haven't quite got it yet. Don't get distracted by the giant. Grab four more. So the grab four more, the question is, why did David grab five uh, smooth stones when he only needed one? Well, because Goliath has four brothers. Could you imagine the audacity in that situation? That's what we're saying here. Don't you know whose side you're on? Don't you realize that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the one that has commissioned you to go against that? Well, grab four more. Don't just grab one. Let's be audacious here. We got one life to live. Let's do this right. Let's be happy soldiers and chuckle the whole time. Don't get distracted by the giant. Grab four more. Grab four more. Grandpa Mo. <laughs> suffer one, suffer all. If one is suffering, you suffer with them. You never disconnect yourself emotionally and psychologically from the troops that are surrounding you. If you want to be a good soldier, then you always remember that you are part of a body. You are part of something bigger than you. Jesus is suffering when you suffer. Therefore, you suffer when others in the body suffer. Very clear command for us as soldiers. Therefore, we bear the burden of our other soldiers. Suffer one, suffer all. Swan song. You can see it if you squint. Forsake the common life. You can't return to civilian life. You are now a soldier in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So you need to forsake that first life and all that it entailed. You cannot pine after it. Don't lay in bed at night thinking about what you gave up. I want you to lay in bed at night and think of what you've gained in Jesus Christ. Forsake the common life. Ah. Uh, Fitty cell. I don't know how the fitty turns into empty, but it does. Okay, guys? Uh, that one needs a little imagination, but I think you guys have it. I think you have it. Last to sleep, first to rise. This is like what I learned from William Wallace and my dad. My dad, all growing up, was always the last to sleep. Okay, he was always, and he'd make sure all the doors are locked, windows closed. He'd just make sure all the kids are in bed, and then I could never beat him up in the morning. That sounded funny beat him up in the morning. <laughs> I could never get up earlier than he did in the morning. He was always up. It seemed like he never slept. That was the mystery of my father. It's the mystery of William Wallace. William Wallace fight all day long, and yet he'd make sure that the triage units, you know, everything was stable. He'd know his, where his men are. He would make sure all of them are lying down. They're safe. Then he would work on tomorrow's strategy for war. Somehow in there, he'd sleep, but before anyone else got up, he was up. And what did that do for the troops? It gave him a sense of confidence that someone was always watching. You see, there's something about a soldier that is willing to be deprived of certain comforts in order to bring comfort to the troops around them. Ever watchful, always the protector. Last to sleep, first to rise. L2S. You just take the front part of that one. 
No man left behind. I tell you what, if, if you've ever studied military history, there's something about that phrase, no man left behind, which stirs men. Because it tests us at the most elementary level of selfishness. Here's the, the, the transport, the helicopter transport, and you've made it through enemy fire, and you can jump onto that helicopter transport, get out of here, get out of here, get me out of here. However, you hear rumor that your bunkmate or whatever his position in your life, your good friend is down. You could just get out, but the principle in your soul as a good soldier is you can't think about your own skin. Going back out there means you'll likely die. You may not even get him into the transport. He may already be dead. No man left behind. You know how hard it is to go through enemy fire with a big, heavy sack of potatoes over your shoulder? That's a harder way to do it. But what is it about that principle? If we take that into the body of Christ, no man left behind stirs us. There's something about it that speaks the language of heaven in its essence. No man left behind. No Major League Baseball. That means a strike. (laughs) Always expect to win. No matter how dark it gets, when all seems lost, always expect the battle to turn. You always must have faith. Always know the God who created the heavens and the earth is still in control. No matter how dark it gets, no matter if they throw you in a prison cell in a dark little chamber underground, my God wins. My God wins. Always the breath of faith in a soldier's lungs. Always expect the battle to turn. Always eat the beets. No muttering, bold proclamation, speak clear and distinct. No muttering. If you're a soldier, speak clearly. You have a message to speak, do not be ashamed of it. You speak boldly everything that God has implanted. Clear and distinct. Colonel and D. <laughs> always honorable, always noble, always a gentleman. Always honorable. Ah. Uh... <laughs> See? There's a good, solid mind behind all these things. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This isn't just my opinion. This is Paul the Apostle speaking the very word of God. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Not for a crown, but for his pleasure. Why are you doing this? Sort of hard to explain, but it's because... I want him to smile. It's because I want to give back to him in whatever way I can that love gift that he gave to me. It's just what is reasonable. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Logically speaking, he gave everything for you. He has saved your life. What's the reasonable response? It's only reasonable that you give him your body in return. It's just what is expected. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? 
But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And if we receive a crown, there is only one place that it can and must go. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. To his feet, the dwelling place of the happy soldier. That's where we live. We live at his feet. That's Mary's place. If you ever study feet in Scripture, it's extremely profound. But we go to the feet of our king. That's where a servant will prostrate himself. That's where even a, an officer coming into his king will literally lay down at the feet of the king and say, I'm at your service. I'm at your disposal. Mary went to the feet of Jesus. Remember Martha complaining that she wasn't doing anything? And Jesus says, hey, she's chosen the best place. She's chosen the better part. Remember her breaking out the spike nard and Judas saying, hey, that was a waste. And Jesus defends her afresh. Jesus will defend the soldier that comes to his feet. The place where the gospel comes alive. Verily, verily I say unto you, whosoever, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this happy soldier, this woman has done, be told for a memorial of her. Really living the soldier's life. So I'm going to read this again. Now just think, and we've gone on a whirlwind course of discipleship here. When you understand what that parachute is, what that weaponry that you've been given by the shed blood of Jesus is, what it means to take that leap and what it means to fall in that sense, that suffering, that trial, that tribulation you will go through, and how to convert it into a forward role with even greater strength when you get there, to shock the enemy and to take him off his feet. When you understand what you've been given, you know the battle you're in. Watch out, world. Christianity has returned full force. Private Ludi, sir, yes, sir. It looks like it's time for Sister Petey, the predecided sir, yes, sir, to visit Iowa. Instinctive obedience always. T.S. Tugs, to see the general smile, sent the invite. The bags are packed, and Lenore Magoo, let, no one mo- let not one moment go unloved, is joining the visit. No doubt you'll be sleeping on vinyl, lowest place or bust, but just remember, Owen is, only one is special, when the vinyl gets rough. And just think, for years, Otto B., oh, to be the first sufferer, has lived in Iowa with his wife, Emmy. Everything means everything. And their pet, Opie Cat, 100% all the time. And they have been going strong for 2,000 years. You'll definitely need to learn the ballad, Arkansas, Arkansas, always ready, always ready, for their gardener, Stewie, spring to action, spring to battle, sings it all day long. If you ever get in a tough spot, just dial Jody. Don't let Josh Shelby about do you. She'll be quick to answer. In fact, so quick that you'll get dizzy, dizzy. Don't set down the sword. There will be moments when you will want to take the easier route through town, but always follow Dr. Mister. The most difficult is the most rewarding, for he knows the best path to Grandpa Moe's. Grab four more, place. Sing the swan song, suffer one, suffer all, every night prior to bed, and make the empty cell forsake the common life, your living quarters. Oh, and did I mention that L2S, last to sleep, first to rise, will be your roommate? He's a big guy and tends to take up most of the bed. Don't forget to strike, no man left behind, the cheek of the Jebusites prior to leaving every morning. And I can't stress enough, always eat 
the beats. Always expect the battle to turn. Colonel Andy, clear and distinct, will be there in Iowa to answer your questions, and he'll also be your dentist. Always honorable. Godspeed, the heavenly messenger. The heavenly soldier, though the twice-born, the indwelled by the heavenly soldier himself, enabled to live a life that otherwise would be impossible, one who doesn't look to his own strength and courage to do the work, but has learned how to go to heaven's war chest for the ability to fight. There are many of you in here that would be the dutiful soldier right now, but you have a longing as do I. I have a good percentage of my life that has transitioned into happy soldiering, and I still have my grumbling moments. The Holy Spirit is very quick to convict me in those grumbling moments, praise God. But I desire to continue to mature and to grow up to be the sort of soldier that would be considered a good soldier. A good soldier for Christ Jesus. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.